God be the glory. At this time, we want to dismiss all of our bridge kids. That's for all of our students, grades K through five. You are dismissed at this time. Your uh, leaders are at the back. They are waiting for you. Um, and they're for an age-appropriate lesson. We are on our road to Calvary, the road to redemption. And we are, our journey is led through the book of Matthew. So if you would, grab your Bible, your devices, and turn, flip, or swipe there to Matthew chapter number 27. Matthew chapter number 27, beginning with verse number 1. Matthew 27, beginning with verse number 1, and we'll go through verse number 26. Once you have it, if you would, as is our custom, stand in honor and reverence to God's holy word. Matthew chapter number 27, beginning with verse number one. If you don't have it, it will be on the screen for your reading. Matthew chapter 27, verse number one. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priest taking the pieces of silver said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Now, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You said it. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, and not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. 
Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. This morning, our sermon is going to be structured more around two themes of our passage. Typically, we go in order of the text, kind of verse by verse. But this morning, it's going to be arranged and structured more thematically uh, rather than expositionally. First thing that we see in our text, Matthew, what Matthew is doing in this, this first 26 verses of chapter 27 is he's showing to us the guilt of both the Jews and Gentiles. He is answering the question, who is responsible for the death of Jesus? And Matthew clearly gives evidence that both the Jews and the Gentiles are guilty. Let's look at the evidence. First, he points out to us the chief priest and the elders. These, these are the leading rulers of the Jews. They know the scriptures. They know the prophecies concerning the Messiah. And even all throughout this gospel, one of the things that we keep seeing over and over is Matthew saying that something was done in order to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. So the clues are there for these, rule, these leading rulers, these leading religious rulers to see that Jesus is fulfilling all the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. Yet, they choose to ignore the evidence. 
These leading religious rulers reject the Messiah. Look at all they do here in, in chapter 27. It says in verse 2 that they took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. This, this is a conspiracy. They conspire to, to, to concoct trumped up charges against an innocent man. Beloved, this is injustice at its worst. They determine that this man, Jesus, is guilty before they even put him on trial. Before they even have any evidence against him, they have determined that he is guilty. Last week, uh, Pastor Dominic shared with us uh, about the Jewish trial in the home of Caiaphas. And all that was was a gathering of a, a, a so they, could, they already had a verdict and they were in search of charges. They determined beforehand that he was already worthy of death. And the text even today says that the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to choose Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Matthew is showing us that they are indeed culpable, guilty of killing an innocent man. Not only do we see the chief priests and the elders given responsibility for the death of Jesus, but also he inserts here a passage about Judas. Here, here, first we see the religious rulers, those who know the scriptures, but then we see a man who was an actual follower of Jesus Christ. He, he is a disciple of Jesus Christ. He walked with him, talked with him. He heard the teachings of Jesus. He, he, he heard the truth speak truth. He, he, he saw the miracles that Jesus performed. He saw him turn water into water. He, 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 he saw him uh, walk on water. He, he saw him feed 5,000 with a two-piece. <laughs> He, 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 he saw the miracles. Yet he sought his own self-interest and betrayed Christ for 30 pieces of silver. And in our text today, Judas comes to terms with what he's done. In verse 4, he says, I've betrayed innocent blood. And by Judas's own determination, he's guilty of the condemnation of an innocent man. Now, as we read Matthew 27, this insertion here about Judas seems kind of out of nowhere. It seems disruptive to the flow of the narrative of this trial of Jesus before this Roman official by the name of Pilate. Why does Matthew put this scene here? 
Well, I think the text tells us, verse 9 tells us, that what has happened in this scene between Judas and the chief priests and the elders is another fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He puts it here to show us that even in the midst of these chief priests and elders conspiring against Jesus, even against, uh, 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 before, against Judas betraying Jesus, there's still another character behind the scenes. His name is God the Father. He, 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 he has already predetermined. He has already planned all of this out. So we see human responsibility on one hand, but yet we see the sovereignty of God on another hand. The chief priests and elders think they are in control, but yet it is God who is in control. That's what this fulfillment reminds us. Matthew shows us the culpability of the chief priests and the elders. He shows us the culpability of Judas, but yet he also shows us the culpability of the Jewish people who have gathered here on this day. Verse 15 begins the interaction between Pilate and the crowd. Pilate tries to appease the crowd by offering them an alternative to Jesus. He offers them another known criminal by the name of Barabbas. And this Barabbas, we know, is a notorious criminal. He's a nationalist that tried to lead an insurrection. He was a part of the January 6th crowd. Everybody knows about Barabbas and his crimes. The evidence is well known and legit. So Pilate asked this crowd in verse 17, who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? They have a choice here between a proven, known uh, criminal and between an innocent man. And the crowd chooses Barabbas. Pilate asked him, so what, if I, what am I supposed to do with Jesus? And the crowd says, crucify him. And then in verse 25, they cry out, let his blood be on us and our children. We see clearly here that the Jewish crowd is implicated in the unjust murder of Jesus Christ. But there are more individuals who are responsible for the death of this innocent man, the Gentiles. It is not just the Jews who are responsible for the death of Christ. It's also non-Jews. And we see this uh, through, through the role of Pilate here in our text. Pilate presides over this Roman trial of Jesus. See, see the first trial, was, it was sufficient to, to, to um, uh, find charges against Jesus, but it was insufficient to actually carry out the crucifixion. Only a, 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 a Roman governor had the authority to sentence someone to be crucified. 
And so they bring him now before Pilate. And it is Pilate who ultimately is the one who gives permission or allows Jesus to be crucified. And yes, he tried to, to symbolically wash away his guilt. Yet he too is still guilty of the murder of an innocent man. He was a passive participant. And can I tell you, church, passive participation in injustice is complicity. Now, what is all this? What are the implications of this? Well, what we see is that both Jews and Gentiles are responsible for the death of Christ. And when we talk about the makeup of, of the races here, there, there are nothing else besides Jews and non-Jews. And so essentially, Matthew shows us that everybody is culpable here in the death of Christ. What, what, what the fact that both Jews and Gentiles are responsible for the death of Christ reveals that there is indeed non-righteous. There is non-good. All have turned aside. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This, this passage reveals that all of us left to our own devices will always choose Barabbas over Jesus. That's, that's why I'm glad my salvation is not based on my choice, but that Jesus chose me. Because left to my own, I want Barabbas every time. Beloved, what this passage teaches us, that we too are culpable in the death of Christ. It was our sin that sent Jesus to the cross. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Our sin nailed him to the cross. Beloved, we too are guilty of the death of an innocent man. Help me, preacher. You just want me to leave here guilty? I think we need to feel our guilt. What's the significance of us being guilty too? I think there are a couple of lessons that we actually can learn from Judas. Look what Judas, is, Judas does here in our text. Judas, he acknowledges his wrongdoing. He confesses his wrongdoing. And he mourns over his sin. Judas knows that it is against the law to take a bribe that leads to the shedding of innocent blood. And I think like Judas, we should mourn over our sin. There should be a godly grief over our sin. But church, here's the thing. Grief, sorrow, and mourning in and of itself is insufficient. Hell is overflowing with remorseful, sad sinners. Being sorrowful is not enough. It's a first step, but it is insufficient for our salvation. Judas's problem, what Judas did wrong, 
is that he dealt with his sinful grief according to his own ways. He tried to make it right by handling his sin himself. Rather than running to Jesus and submitting to his kingship, he sentenced himself to death. And beloved, trying to save ourselves by our own works will always lead to spiritual suicide. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 says that there is a godly grief which produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Our grief over our guilt of sin should lead us to full-hearted repentance. Our grief is a sign that we need forgiveness. We, we need a forgiveness that can only come through Jesus Christ. This was Judas's problem. He did not run to Jesus, but he tried to save himself by his own works. So we need a forgiveness that only comes through Jesus because of our guilt of killing this innocent man. So that's the first things. We see the guilt of the Jews and Gentiles, but Matthew wants us to see clearly the innocence of Jesus Christ. That's the other major thing. Look at verse 4. Judas says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. In verse 19, even Pilate's wife testifies to the innocence of Christ. She says, she tells her husband, have nothing to do with that righteous man. Even Pilate, on three separate occasions, attests to the innocence of Jesus. In verse 18, Pilate realizes that the only reason that, these, that the crowd and these Jew, uh, Jewish leaders delivered Jesus over to him was out of envy. They were jealous of Jesus. And Pilate sees there are no legitimate charges here. That's the first time. Second time, verse 23, after they demand Jesus be crucified, Pilate asked them, why? What evil has he done? Pilate himself sees that this man has done nothing wrong, nothing wicked. And the third time, verse 24, when Pilate washes his hand, he says, I am innocent of Jesus' blood. He is showing there that he knows Jesus is innocent and he doesn't want anything to do with it. Matthew, beloved, wants us to see clearly that Jesus has done nothing wrong. This is a grave injustice that Jesus is enduring. He is indeed an innocent man. The man, he wants his readers and us to see that this man, Jesus, that will be crucified is not guilty. It, and beloved, it is his innocence that makes him the perfect substitute for guilty sinners. Matthew wants us to see that Jesus is the spotless lamb of God. 
And what we see in Jesus is we see the innocent dying for the guilty. At the cross, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. What we see at Calvary is the sinless one dying for sinners, the righteous dying for the unrighteous, the just for the unjust. His innocent blood was shed for our sins. And because his innocent blood was shed, the good news, church, there is that there is still a fountain Filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins. The good news is that when sinners plunge beneath that flood, they lose all their guilty stains. The the, the innocent blood of Jesus removes our guilty stains. And because of the innocent blood of Christ, we now stand not condemned. Because of the innocent blood of Christ, we can claim that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because of the innocent blood of Jesus shed on our behalf, we are justified. God sees us now as innocent because of the blood of Jesus Christ. All precious is the blood. Now, that's the whole sermon. That, that, that is the whole sermon. Now I'm going to give you an application that is beyond the bounds of this text. This morning as, as I was preparing and meditating on this scripture, I woke up with a headache and I was like, oh Lord, I, I can't preach with no headache. I, 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 I can't do this. I, I just don't feel like it. And I know I'm not the only one who sometimes we show up just because we supposed to. Not because we want to. And this text convicted me. The Holy Spirit convicted me. And, and the, this text reminded me that I'm guilty, yet Jesus died. This innocent man died for my sin. And so you know what? When I show up, I ought to show up with a heart of gratitude and a heart of thankfulness that Jesus came and died my death. And so every time, every chance I get to come into the house of the Lord, I got a reason to say thank you. I've got a reason to be grateful. He deserves our praise. He deserves our, his, the glory. He deserves the honor. He deserves the praise. Every time I show up, there's a reason to worship him. And it's because he died in my place. It's because he took the crown of thorns for my sin. It's because he, his hand were now for my sin his feet were now and I've got a reason to worship and matter of fact because I know what he did for me I no longer care what y'all think about my praise because you don't know my story you don't know what he's done for me so I'm glad hey, hey 
He's my savior. He's my redeemer. He's my justifier. He's my keeper. He's worthy. Come on, worship team. Come on, worship team. That blood was shed for me. And so y'all wonder why I act like I act sometimes? Because of the blood. <laughs> why do I shout? <laughs> because, because of the blood. Why am I so passionate? Because of the blood. Even, even, even when things are not going my way, it's because of the blood that I can still give him praise and glory and honor. His blood shed for me. Is there anybody here who's grateful for the blood? And beloved, the good news is that the blood still works. The blood still saves. The blood still redeems. The blood still washes us and makes us white as snow. He, the innocent, died for the guilty. He was the only one qualified. And so there may be somebody here today. You hear clearly that you stand condemned. You are guilty because of your sin. You have committed crimes against the king of kings. And what you deserve, what you've earned is the wrath of God. But the good news, what you've heard clearly is that God sent his one and only son to die your death. This same Jesus was buried, which proves that he actually died. The good news is that this same Jesus that was killed, that was died and was buried, rose on the third day. That Jesus now lives. He, he's not just some martyr, but he's our savior. And I, Redeemer, when God raised him from the dead, he said, yes, I accept your sacrifice. And all who come to me through you, son, will be adopted into my family. So somebody here today or on this stream, what you need today is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't go the way of Judas. Don't try to save yourself. It'll never work. You are unworthy. You are a guilty sinner. But Jesus is a perfect substitute. So those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Let us stand and sing.